Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello, everyone. We got a signal in here? <laughs> I got some business to attend to. <laughs> signal? What do you need signal for? For Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, that would solve a lot of the problems, the, the lazy problems you have about not wanting to plug the cable into the back of the computer. That's the problem, reaching up and grabbing the cable and plugging it in. And if you had Wi-Fi, you could attend to that business I without I could attend having... all my business. That's right, that's right. What's up, dog? Well, we're, we're both in the same room again. <laughs> Yeah, and we're both ill. Well, we're, we're both we're Ill-in. recovering from an illness that uh, John got, and I'm not sure if I got mine from him, but my Kraken very much resembled his, so they, they may have been related. Well, they're probably passed around through all of central New York. I, I've heard a lot of people getting sick. Yeah, we had the day I took off, like last Wednesday, not Wednesday of this week, but the Wednesday of the prior week, I think four people, be, in addition to me, called in. Five inclusive. Yeah, and there's one person in my office still who... I can hear her coughing from like three rooms away. Same thing that I had. She's still got this same lingering cough, and you're probably going to have to... Uh, you might hear us cough every once in a while by accident, just because it's we got the tickle still. Yeah, it's the tickle. It's the throaty tickle. Yeah, and I hate that. Yeah. You know, it, it just builds up, and you're trying not to cough, and then ugh, you know, yeah, it just I, comes out. I find myself like hammering my chest to try to get all that mucus out. It's like a King Kong thing John has going on, too. Yeah. And I, I save it next to my bed in a jar. <laughs> That's very pleasant. I'll be selling it on eBay. You know, I've been taking a big trips. A big trip. You've been taking big trippies? Down memory lane over the past week. I've been I've been just on the internet, just looking up stuff of my childhood and just harking back. Harkening? Christopher Harkening, great guitarist. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, and the one thought that occurred to me when I was working the other day, because we got talking about this, and let me set a stage for you. Let me give you a scenario. Do we have to play, like, harp music? You could. And in the future, we may be playing some harp music, actually, because I've got this harpist CD, and she's just uh, trying to decide whether or not she wants us to play her music. We'll get all harpified. She had a really funny joke. She was like, when I was a kid, I didn't know the difference between a bass, a bassoon, a harp, a harpoon. <laughs> That's actually sort of funny. In a music geek kind of way, yeah. Yeah, So anyways, exactly. your story about the harkening. Yeah. So we're sitting around, and we're talking at work. And we were talking about this show from the 70s, which a lot of our viewers are probably too young to remember. But it involves a guy named Steve, and he's a pilot. He might be an astronaut. Did, did he... Um have an accident at some point where she's breaking up she's breaking up yeah he had an accident so my question yeah my question is if they had to build steve austin today how much would it cost you know technology's come down would he be six million i mean what you know what, what would the price tag of a steve austin in 2007 dollars be i'm thinking maybe 100 grand <laughs> it's like moore's law you know we we know there'd be lots of processing power available to him but technology it can come down but you know his technology is probably very special it's probably still very expensive and cutting edge yeah well his legs might be like six or seven million on their own yeah 
Yeah. So I don't know. I was just wondering about that. I think they probably use better fonts in the show. If it was, <laughs> I don't know. His little eyepiece when he was like doing the, the zooming in, the sound effects and all that stuff. Yeah. Probably be better this day. You know, in, in the seventies, they used the, the crap analog stuff. <laughs> the, the crap, cranalog, the, <laughs> right. crap analog. Yeah, they had to use some like, wa- like sawtooth wave synthesizer <laughs> or something that you know, and just for his eyes sound effect alone. The other things I've been thinking about lately a lot were early computers. The first computers that I used, like my VIC-20 and my Commodore 128. Kerosene-powered machines. Kerosene-powered record players. And I, you know what? No matter, no matter how cool our modern computers are, and basically, you know, if you have a modern machine, you're basically running what, you know, how Apple did the ad, you know, where they couldn't export the G3 or whatever because it was right. a supercomputer. Right. Well, everybody's computers are more powerful than a G3 now. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, so basically we all have what not that long ago would have been considered supercomputers on our desk with all these great graphics and amazing capabilities. But I had more fun calling single modem BBSs in 1985 on a Commodore 64 than I do on the internet now with all of this power and all of this bandwidth available to us, you know? Well, I think it's probably because of the, um, I don't know that I don't want to say novelty, but because it was, it was new, it was more of a new and exclusive thing. It, it actually took some effort to get everything hooked up, and you felt the sense of accomplishment when you actually got. Hooked it was up. fun when stuff didn't work and you had to make it right. work. Now yeah. stuff basically works with all this plug and play, and that usually works anyway. Well, for the most part. And now, yeah, they're pretty much appliances, and and exactly the machine has sort of gone away and now the only thing that you care about is the stuff that you're getting through the machine the content yeah whereas before you couldn't avoid the machine you were stuck going and rewriting system drivers if you had to (laughs) exactly and and it was so much fun i mean as you know and and as you did also it was so much fun we each ran bulletin boards Mm -hmm. had a blast doing that you know made some interesting friends that you know i still talk to to this day well i met rich through the internet i met well i mean this is the early internet we're talking about bulletin boards yeah yeah yeah, not the internet at all, but it, I mean, John's dad had been my personal physician, my doctor for years since I was like eight. And you can't really throw a stone in East Utica, which is where a lot of Italian people live, without hitting a Tallarico or an Amato. Stones being thrown too. That's right. So when you know when one of my users on my BBS was like his name was John Tallarico, it never occurred to me that <laughs> he would be related to my doctor. There's like 15 John Tallaricos in upstate New York, and I had known, uh, as I've mentioned before, John's brother Frank. Uh, worked with him on the road with a, a rock band. We used to call him Snake Plissken. Right. Wait for the reference to kick in there. Uh, Escape from New York for those go. who, who uh, don't know the Snake Plissken reference. But yeah, it was so much more fun back in the day, you know, doing the whole... Because you know what? Every time I logged... We used to have this really cool BBS around here. And John, I don't think, ever was on it. Only the cool kids hung out there. Because the this BBS, which was called the City Zoo, went offline... The moment I put my BBS online, it was timed that way on purpose. I think I, I may have hit it a couple of times. I don't think I stayed on there very long. And for every time I called there, it was so covert. And it's like, you know, this guy, the, the big rumor was nobody knew where this BBS was. And I felt like Matthew Broderick in War <laughs> Games or something, you know. And it was just it was just so new and so much more fun. Yeah, and then you could hear the modem, you know. It took like 40 minutes for you to actually make a connection. <laughs> 300 baud. You could actually keep up reading it as it scrolled across the screen. Yeah, that was one of those deals where you knew that your modem was like amazingly fast when you couldn't read it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I got a 1200 baud modem and you could I could kind of keep up and then I got a 2400 and yeah. you absolutely could not keep up reading it and you were like, "Man, this is the bomb." 
And then they were saying you wouldn't be able to exceed 2400 on dial-up phone lines, and then the 9600s came out, and then the 144s came out, and then the 288s came out, and then the 566s came out. 566 has never been eclipsed because they didn't have to anymore because broadband pretty much kicked in. Well, and also, as I, if I understand correctly, there was a law that limited the amount of bandwidth the normal people could use, and a 50, it was just under 566. A 56 mo- modem could never actually achieve 566, yeah, I mean, even under ideal circumstances. It was like 52.4 or something. So, yeah, you wouldn't legally be able to exceed that on normal phone lines. I don't know. With DSL, maybe they've changed that or, or they've you know, grandfathered in some kind of crazy law to allow it. But Yeah, I mean, DSL, though, is a different story, though. It is. But it is over a normal phone line. It's just not analog. Right. Right. So, anyway, there you go. Six yeah. million dollar man. What's he going to cost today? Who knows? We should probably check out, you know, $1978 or $76 or whatever it was and see how much six million dollars would go. Yeah. There's got to be a calculator online somewhere. Yeah. Well, you you know, $6 million ain't what it used to be. That's all I know. <laughs> Actually, we were talking about the fact that on the show, there was a guy named Barney that Steve Austin ran across who was a $7 million man and actually <laughs> beat him in an arm wrestling match on the show. There was a stronger bionic man. Yeah, but he was probably a trucker. <laughs> and he probably had a really cool handle. He might have been a Yankees <laughs> fan and a NASCAR fan, too. I don't know what that means. but I'm just thinking in the 70s, a lot of stuff was... Was, you know, centered around trucking. <laughs> there actually used to be a show with Claude Aikens called Moving On. Do you remember that? It was a show about truckers. Well, there was BJ and the Bear, which was kind of the 80s. It was a little but, later. But I'm just thinking, you know, the 70s, that whole convoy thing kicked in. C.W. McCall, C.B. Savage, which John doesn't remember. <laughs> I'm just blocking it, I think. <laughs> it's just bad memories. <laughs> you want to... traumatized. You want to go into a tune? <laughs> yeah, I'll hit this one. Yeah, let's, let's check this out.
Ooh. What's that about? We're listening to the sweet, sweet sounds of Romashka. Romashka. That one was called Shindiggy. Shimdiggy. Quite know why that. Shim or Shin? Shimdiggy. With an M? With an M. Oh, I spelled it wrong on the board. Well, no, that's Shivdiggy. <laughs> totally. That's a prison basic. thing. That's, that's off. No, I wrote Shindiggy, but that is called Shimdiggy. And even though we didn't hear her, the singer in that band, Inna, is fiance to Lev Zhurbin, the violist whose yes. music we've played in the past. I don't know if we've mentioned that connection or not, but there is a connection. And somewhere in there, uh, Kevin Bacon, I think, He's, is associated with them. Well, within six degrees, anyway. And, and actually, Lev is probably playing some stringed instrument on that as well. Most likely. What are we drinking today, anyway? Ripple. <laughs> no, this is... Uh, I don't know what this means. 120 on there. What does that mean? Is that proof? That's the Vintner, I think. Uh, 120, Carmenere, 2004. This is from Chile. Voodoo Chile. It's Chile? Chile. Chile. Oh. Santa Rita. I like yeah. it. Yeah, it is uh, quite yummy. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't, was Carmenere the grape? What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I got to look it up. Wow. Whatever it is, it's it's a red wine. It's it's dry and it's good. It's doing the job. <laughs> well, for you, Ripple <laughs> would do that too. You know, peach schnapps, whatever. Yeah. I used to like apple schnapps. We used to drink that when I was a kid, like just out of high school. Me and my friends would drink the schnapps, like the Hogan's Heroes thing. Well, you have to drink schnapps when you're a kid because, you know, that's the only delivery mechanism for alcohol that works for kids. It's really sweet. I'm actually yeah. not a schnapps fan anymore. I could never drink it. It would kill my stomach. Yeah. John always had the, the upset stomach thing going on. I remember the uh, brain tumors? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We used to throw parties and... We were famous for drinking the tumors. It's not a tumor, but those were tumors. Oh. Now, what is that? That's some sort of schnapps with uh, the the cream, the no. Irish Bailey, <clears throat> the Bailey's Irish cream in the top. I don't know if it was schnapps. I can't remember, but I yeah, think it was schnapps. Bailey's Irish cream or cream Irish whatever. Bailey's was dumped in there, and it yeah, would and float it, like it a little. It would like tumor. coagulate and float on top and look like a brain. Yeah, it did the job too. <laughs> I was a bigger fan of the kamikazes we used to drink. Those, those were, are good. Those are good. Remember the bivik? <laughs> oh, man. Let's not go there. <laughs> All right. Never mind. We'll, we'll explain <laughs> the bivik in the future. <laughs> All right. So I kind of just pitched the idea of talking about race and race. Not that we haven't talked about that before, but on this week in which 60 years ago, Jackie Robinson was the first black slash African-American player to be allowed to play in the major leagues. In combination with the crap that Don Imus said, I thought it might be kind of cool to talk about race issues again and those sure. issues and all that. And, we, you know, we can even talk about a little baseball since Jackie Robinson yeah, was a baseball player. And for those who don't know it, John and I both like baseball. Occasionally. You know, the, the thing that bugs me about this whole Imus, um, well, not I'm not going to even talk about Jackie Robinson yet, but the whole Imus racial thing is that it's almost like white people or people who aren't african-american or black whatever you want to say they're not allowed to comment on it it's as if there's there's no authority like like we're not citizens of this country and we haven't dealt with we're not part of that race so we can't comment on it or if we say anything about it we can't be taken seriously that's what's been bugging me about this well yeah i know what you're saying i mean i, I think we first we both agree that don imus what he said was just crass and stupid yeah he's an ass but i don't really have a problem with it from a legal perspective Not i mean he was exercising his free speech it was tasteless and nope. you know he certainly had the right to do that and apparently yep. the free market of ideas has lobbied him out of a job because of it and you know what at first i was i was thinking well you know so many people say so many worst things on on the radio and other places 
And for him to lose his job over it, it, it kind of bugged me. And then I said, well, here's what really happened. At first, he was just getting a slap on the wrist, which I thought was an appropriate response. An appropriate or inappropriate? An appropriate response, response. meaning he was going to get a two-week suspension because he offended a lot of people. And I think that his um, his network, CBS and, and MSNBC, they needed to respond. They needed to show that they weren't just going to tolerate someone being you know, a bigot that way. And I thought it was fair. Then I was upset when he got fired, and then I thought about it. I'm thinking, well, really, it was a business decision. His his sponsors pulled out because they didn't want to be associated with him, and then the the station and MSNBC decided, you know, if we can't get sponsorship, then we need to put together a show or, or, or air a show that's going to make us money. So we're going to pull him. So then I figured, you know, fine, it's a business decision. It wasn't a racial decision. It was a business decision. Well, sure. It was definitely a business decision. I mean, when big advertisers and the two that really pulled their revenue, they were, I forget which ones Amex they were. was one of them, yeah. They're big, you know? And I mean, I've if, heard of them, Amex. If, if, if MSNBC or CBS or whatever who's paying Imus's check can't afford to pay his check anymore because they have no right. income, well, then you kind of have to let him go. But again, I mean, you know, I saw a debate on CNN a couple of weeks ago, and it was among three African-Americans. The host of the CNN show was an African-American. There were two, uh, maybe one male and one female woman. And they had a very, very heated debate about this, which you normally don't really see. It got, I mean, not to the point of swearing, but really speaking their mind and really speaking their feelings, which you don't tend to see on the big corporate networks anymore. And I was very surprised that I believe both of the African-American guests were like, well, he didn't do anything illegal. What's the big deal here? Do we have free speech or don't we? Right. And that, to me, that was really the only thing that offended me was that that people were attacking him and saying that he didn't have the right to say this or the right to say that. And my whole opinion on this whole thing, and I may have said it before on this show, we all have the right to be bigots. And I think in this country, that's one of those things that people underestimate. We all have the right to Or they forget. Or they forget. We all have the right to our own opinion. In fact, I would even go one step further and say, I think we are all inherently bigoted. I I would agree. Because we all come from a certain group, certain segment, a certain population, even if it's, you know, uh, the, what we typically call white bread, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant group, it's a group and we feel most comfortable with people of our group and anything outside of that group we feel uncomfortable with. So we, we tend to, I don't know, associate and disassociate based on where we came from. And I think that we all have the right to have our own feelings, and sometimes things slip out in a, in a heated moment or in joking and jest. Well, the question and we is, say stupid things. Where, where was he going with that? And I'm not sure I've heard a good reply. I mean, you know, remember the whole Kramer thing where he did that right, wicked racial right. humor. So, I mean, was the, was he drunk? And just, you know, venting his true feelings? Or was he trying to do cutting-edge humor? I mean, Kramer that, or Imus? I'm talking about both. Uh, I'm applying this this reasoning to both, but I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the Kramer, the Michael... Uh, what's his name? Richards. Michael the Richards. Michael Richards comedy routine he did on the, on the stage at the evening at the Improv or whatever, like about four months ago, where he did a lot of racial stuff and it just didn't fly. So, but the, but the question is, was he speaking his mind and is he really a bigot? And was he just speaking the way he speaks 
behind closed doors, but he brought it out in public? Or was he just trying to do cutting-edge humor? I mean, let's not forget that that classic Saturday Night Live routine with uh, Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor. I mean, that was back in the 70s, and they really pushed the limits. Do you, you know the routine I'm talking about? I don't remember about? that one, no. Well, they were sitting there talking, and they were free associating. I think one of them was a, a shrink, and they were free associating words. And it got very racial. And uh, Chevy Chase said something like, Porch monkey. Honky. Oh, I think I remember that now, yeah. And then, and again, this is, I'm just paraphrasing Saturday Night Live here, folks, so don't get mad at me. And then something else was said, you know, some other awful slur about African Americans. And uh, he said something like, saucer lips. And then, and then Pryor said, honky, honky. (laughs) And then, Chevy Chase looked him square in the eye, and there was a pregnant pause, and you knew something was coming, and he said, nigger. Right. And Pryor went, dead honky. And that's <laughs> right. funny stuff, right. you know? And they were making a point there, and that was really cutting edge 30 years ago. Right. So, I mean, is that what Imus was trying to do, what Michael Richards was trying to do? Are they just bigoted jerks? You no, know? I, I think I've got explanations for both, and of course I don't speak for them because, you know... Because you're not them. I'm not them, and... You're, you're really... Your name is not Cosmo. And I wish I had, like, Amex as a, as a sponsor to lose <laughs> well we should right. well now that they need a radio show we That's should right. pitch them no but I, I think that in the case of michael richards he was on stage and he was trying to do his typical comedy thing and he wasn't being funny and he was getting heckled he well was he being heckled before he was or? being heckled before people were saying people were talking and he was getting upset because he was trying to work his craft and it just was failing he was bombing and then what ended up happening was someone said something and he just in anger blurted out something stupid. He probably wasn't thinking. And then but it he, wasn't just once. He went off and he, he ran with it. Well, he obviously has some sort of anger issues and he, <laughs> and he just got, sort of went off and he's in, he was in one of those tirades. And I think that all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have, have gotten into a state where you're really angry and you just don't think clearly. And he said the wrong That's thing. That's just part of being human. I and mean, he nobody's going to deny that. And I think that what he was doing was he was getting hurt. He felt hurt. And then he looked out in the audience and he saw this person of a certain race and he said, I'm going to hurt him back and was screaming out in a way that was very hurtful because it was a, it was a give and take thing. Well, that, that could have been what happened. Yeah. And, and I'm it's one it, of the, certainly one of the possibilities, it's one explanation. And I'm not saying that, that he's off the hook or he's not, you know, deep down a, a bigot. But like I said, deep down, we've got a lot of feelings that we probably just don't own up to. And you know what? He was hurt, and he looked at a way of hurting someone, and he knew that that was going to be something that would hurt really hard. Well, so, <clears throat> and get him. He he was censored pretty sense, you know, in in any way that could he could be. You know, I believe that that particular comedy club said they weren't going to have him back. And I mean, and that's fair because he went off and he he was hurting clientele, and he could hurt business, which is totally fair. Well, and. As is it a fair decision? Well, whether or not we feel the decision was fair, certainly Imus's employer has the right to fire him if they feel he's behaving inappropriately, as does any of our employer. Right. Employers. We don't know his contract as status. As do any of but, our employers. Yeah, but I, I think that you're right. And then in the Imus situation... Well, who knows? He might be still being paid. Maybe, you know, his contract said... You know, they have to pay him for the next three years. And oh, uh, with his contract. Put him on he's, waivers. He's been in radio for 14 or 15,000 years. <laughs> Maybe I, more, actually. And I, and I think that he probably has a really good lawyer. I mean, he's a guy who sort of like spits out millions. Well, the funny thing is he got fired during Pledge Week or something like that, which was uh, a well, fundraising week. And you know who they put on the air to continue the fundraising? Was it his wife? <laughs> his wife, yeah. yeah. They actually put her on the air to help with the fundraising. Well, I think it was unfortunate because... 
some of the things that he does work for are really worthy causes like cancer for children and, and that kind of stuff. And Cancer you know, for adults, not a worthy cause. Not a worthy cancer cause. Cancer for children, definitely a worthy cause. Well, you know, I got a, I got a soft spot for kids. And I think the Imus thing, you know, with him, the explanation there is he was trying to be funny and he was trying to do the whole – and we've got some people that we, we all know who are – white and you know just for kicks and even i do it and i do it occasionally and sometimes in the intro to the show we'll make you know some some statements in that kind of ghetto speak i would say you know like yo homie what's up dog that kind of stuff in defense of myself john does it way more than i do (laughs) (laughs) because i actually don't find that kind of thing funny well i try to crack a smile on people's face and occasionally you know speaking of racial humor and ethnic humor and there are two guys that do it and it's so dated and it's just not funny anymore don rickles everything he does is racial humor and he 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 it used to be cutting edge when he was doing it in like the 60s. In the 60s, literally. But now he busts out his, quote, black guy voice, end quote. And it, right. it's just it, it's just not funny. And it's it's nobody talks like that anymore. And the other guy is one of my favorite comedians on the planet. And he, he does this. And I'm talking about Robin Williams. He busts out this, yo, man, yeah. what up? What's happening? And it's just, it's so like 1970s black exploitation film, you know? Well, yeah, he's he's doing an impersonation of like Jimmy Walker. Or was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just, it's, you know what? I know a lot of African Americans and none of them talk like that. Yeah. In fact, the only ones that I've ever met or... I can't say Matt, have seen who talk like that. Because John's are, actually never met a black person. <laughs> are the <laughs> ones on very, the sitcoms. He, he lives a very uh, a very uh, sheltered life. In fact, all of my walls are painted white. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true, actually. <laughs> no. No, I'm just saying that when I say Matt, I'm thinking the ones that I've, I've seen on television. Those are the only ones who talk like that. Most are, are, are just... You know, they, they talk like normal people, you know, they, they have normal conversations. They don't go dynamite all the time, you know? <laughs> or what's happening? I think that's the problem with, with media is they've painted this caricature and people try to perpetuate that for laughs. And that's what happened with Imus. You know, he was, he was taking the whole ghetto speak and saying, yo, nappy headed hoe. And it just went too far. Well, and I didn't, I've heard, I heard in, in subsequent playings of what he said, I've heard in its entirety, you know, everything that he said and, you know, I wasn't offended by it, but it just didn't make me laugh. But at the same time, I'm one of the white people in the world who also knows that I am not a person of color and have no idea what it's like to have been a, a person of color in the United States that had slavery 150 years ago. Right. You know, I have no idea what it's really like to be, you know, all of these people that I work with, I work with a lot of people who do the whole, you know, black people get this, they get that, they get racial, you know, special treatment with, with job hiring and all this other stuff. And they, they seem so angry about it. But every time I ask them this question, none of them cop to it. Would any of you trade your life for having been African-American your whole life? You know, do you feel that they get something so great that you would be willing to trade your whiteness for it? And none of them ever say yes. So, I mean, they're just bigots. Yeah. And and this isn't like an apples to apples comparison, but the only thing that I've ever tried to do to sort of relate is to say, you know what, if someone came up to me and, and said something like, yo, greaseball, yo, guinea or something like that, That would offend me. That would really offend me. And it's just words, just like nappy-headed hoe. That would offend me. See, I get, you know, I've had the whole dumb, look, there are no more, there is no race more maligned 
and I'm not talking about the context of African Americans, but outside of African Americans, there is no race more maligned than Polacks and Polish well, jokes. Well, there is and a I'm, whole category of jokes, yes. And I'm I'm a member of that race, and I've never really found them offensive. But ro- what offends me is when someone who is clearly dumb as a stump tells me a <laughs> Polish joke. I'm like, dude, man, you know, <laughs> you can't even spell your name, and you're trying to insinuate I'm dumb because I'm Polish. No, that doesn't fly. Yeah, well, and, and where I was going... I love with, racial humor, though. I mean, I'll also say that. I don't know if it makes me a bad guy, but I love a good Polish joke. Well, the thing is, all humor is founded in some sort of pain. And you know what? Sometimes racial humor is funny. The, the problem that I see is when people are actually you know, stifled for it, if, if they're shut down for it, and they're told they're going to be sued for it. Well, the, the other problem, though, is the insensitivity that the joke teller might have to their quote-unquote victim. You know, they think they're funny, and they have no idea they might be hurting somebody's feelings, and they don't care, and they just bust out with it anyway. And they're, you know, somebody on the other side of the, the wall between entertainer and fan is crying or something. And they just don't get it, you know, because they're a white guy. How could this possibly hurt their feelings? You know, they're being a little insensitive. And well, it's all about intent. It is. But it, you know what? Your intent doesn't matter if somebody, not that it doesn't matter, but you need to be sensitive to the way something might be received as well. I, I don't think there's anything unfair about asking for someone to be sensitive to other people's feelings. I mean, I live, I would prefer to live in a world where people are sensitive to other people's feelings. And while I don't have a problem with, at the end of the day, in terms of free speech with what I miss said, he was being very insensitive. And I do have a problem with insensitivity. Well, when I say it's all about intent, I'm, I'm talking about it's all about intent and also the the conveyance of that intent. If the other person knows that the intent is, is just for humor, just for good-natured ribbing, like if Rich came up to me and said, yo, greaseball. And I have been known to say that every once in a while. I wouldn't him. have a problem with that. In fact, I'd laugh. It wouldn't be an issue because I knew that he he doesn't discriminate based on me being Italian and... In fact, I think he likes the Italian food occasionally. Well, I, I love Italian food. Well, there you go. And, you know, John's not a particularly good cook, but his mom <laughs> cooks the good Italian food. Right. I think next week I'm going to have her make you a giant wheat ball. <laughs> and she's going to throw it at me. She's going to throw it at your head. It's going to have an M80 in the middle, and it's going to explode <laughs> right before it hits me. It's going to be like a shape charge. Right. And I think that I'm going to have her, like, put grains of gluten, like compressed gluten in there so that they enter your system through your skin. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Anyways, you see, Rich knows that I'm not discriminating against his his, uh, my, his distaste for gluten. My glutenness. <laughs> right, his glutinosity. So it's just all good-natured humor and good-natured ribbing. The thing with Imus was the recipient doesn't know that Imus was kidding. Well, and it's recipients. Recipients. So you have know. to be mindful of the fact that right. this team has more than one member, and they're all going to react to it differently. Right, and and it was it was like the moral equivalent of a shotgun attack, you know? He's firing this shotgun across all of these people, and he doesn't even realize who he's hitting. And that's a really important point, because I would not... If I if I am in front of Italian people that I don't know, I wouldn't make the Italian joke because I have no idea how they're going to receive it. Oh, of course it. not. Yeah. And he doesn't know these people. These are, are young women in college playing sports. They're probably highly competent, getting decent grades or great grades. Who knows? And he's saying this kind of stuff about them. You know, let's talk about their achievement. Let's not talk about nappy-headed hoedness. You know? Right. Well, in his defense, I don't even think that he was making a comment about them Directly, I don't think that he was saying anything or trying to attack them. I think that he was just trying to say goofy things to get a laugh, and it just backfired horribly. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I'm going to switch it over to Jackie Robinson. I'm going to, we're going to switch. We're going to, we're going to change tracks here. Just What's because, he have to do with anything? Well, you know, yeah. it was about 60 years ago on April 15th, which would have been last Sunday, that he played. He broke the color barrier in baseball. And I don't want to talk about this forever. Look, we all know Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Great guy. I mean, the the thing that impresses me most is just the quality of the guy's character. I don't know if you know this about me, John, but I'm a big Brooklyn Dodgers fan. I've heard this. I, I'm not a fan of the Dodgers that are out there on the West Coast. They're not the Dodgers. The only Dodgers, in my estimation, are the Brooklyn Dodgers. I've read a ton of books about the Dodgers. I don't know what it is. I don't know how a person can grow up in the late 70s and early 80s and be a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, but I was. They were long gone in L.A., but I was a big – so I have I, – I know quite a bit about the team's history. And Jackie Robinson was chosen to be the first black player to break the color barrier because of the quality of his character, because they knew that he would be able to take it, as it were, you know, because there were so many players, including guys like Joe Garagiola. I heard Joe Garagiola on the air about 20 years ago apologizing for his behavior, because if I recall correctly, he was not a fan of black people from the Negro Leagues playing in his major leagues. So 20 years ago, he gave this sincere heartfelt apology to everyone for his his bad behavior toward the african-american players who broke the color line and uh jackie robinson was the first and roy campanella the great catcher was the second both from the brooklyn dodgers well i think it was important that when he did it because if he wasn't a great player and he didn't have great character it could have backfired as well and it could have been a horrible situation where racism would just take over and say see we told you so they didn't deserve to be in the leagues and and he did an important thing. He he really paved the way, and he played really well under enormous pressure. They had Jackie Robinson Day at Shea Stadium last night against the Braves, and of course Rachel Robinson was there, and Jackie Robinson Jr. I believe, and they both spoke eloquently. You know, they have the Jackie Robinson Foundation, which does scholarships for African American students, and uh, they go out into the community and hopefully improve things. But what strikes me most about the whole Jackie Robinson thing is a wonderful book that I read, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. I found it on the cart at Walden Books for like a buck, and it was called Bums, an oral history of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And all it was, it was not a book written in a normal narrative sense. It was basically interviews with people, famous people, like Larry King. He grew up in Brooklyn. His real name is Larry Ziegler. You know who I mean, Larry King, the, yeah, the, the CNN host. And if I he, put money on a color, it would be olive drab. <laughs> exactly, that guy. And what I absolutely loved about the stories that were told in this book were about how Jackie Robinson actually brought a sense of community. Well, the whole Brooklyn Dodgers brought a sense of community to the borough of Brooklyn. But Jackie Robinson did something amazing. And you might remember 10 or 15 years ago, we had Jews fighting blacks in the street of Brooklyn. Oh, sure. You know, that's what the whole do the right thing was about while well, there's all the racial tension going on in Brooklyn. Right. And the, the Larry King told stories in this book called Bums about Hasidic Jews, you know, the bearded, the black clothes, the whole nine yards cheering for Jackie Robinson in the 40s and in the 50s when he was a player. And all of these people of different races, colors, creeds, automobile preferences, <laughs> food preferences, they were all rooting for gluten this. Gluten tolerances. Gluten intolerance. I don't know if too many people knew about that back then. But you know what? Everybody in Brooklyn was rooting for Jackie Robinson to get a hit or steal second. And you know what? Jackie Robinson was a black guy. It didn't yeah. matter. Well, and it brought the it. borough together. And, and actually, people trace the decline of Brooklyn directly to the Brooklyn Dodgers leaving. That sense of community, the thing that they rallied around, their team, was gone. 
And I think actually that's another important thing that we're missing. And John and I have talked about this occasionally. It's just the community, you know, the right. sense of community we're losing. Well, they don't see each other as individuals. They, they saw themselves as part of the team and they didn't see Jackie Robinson as the black guy in the team. They saw him as the integral component to the team that was helping them win. Yeah. And he was like Larry King described him as just the most exciting guy to watch around the bases. He would take this huge turn around first and dare the right fielder or whatever to throw behind him. Right. And then he would take second. Yeah. I mean, the only guy that I can think of that is spoken in the kind of terms of running the bases that he has spoken in is that Mets guy, Ray, Jose Reyes. People talk yeah. about him in those terms. He's you blindingly know? fast. Too. Yeah, he just he's he lights up the base pads and he's just fun to watch. And I just if any of you have loved baseball and haven't read the book Bums, an oral history of the Brooklyn Dodgers, you really should do it. It's it's phenomenal. Well, and the thing that I'm um I'm loving about baseball, you know, as I get older is that it really is a, a, a game that is more about strategy and more about, I don't know, everyone playing as a team. You have all these set plays, and you're playing as a team, and there's this community about it. And it's not like some of the other sports, like basketball and football, where there's a certain amount of violence that's required. Well, the, the interesting thing about baseball is that the defense has the ball, right. which is wow. completely, it's, it, it's very unique. and. Um. Yeah, it's just a great game. And, and to get back to racism, the one thing that bothers me about racism, well, many things bother me about racism, but the one thing that is, just strikes as a logical person or as a person who tries to be logical, the arbitrariness of racism is just so incredibly dumb. I don't like you because your skin color is different than mine. If you If you sit down and you reason that out, it's the most incredibly stupid reason not to like somebody. If you're not going to like somebody, don't like them because they punched you in the face. Don't like them because they made fun of your mother or your wife or whatever. I mean, obviously there should be, you know, forgiveness in this world too. But, you know, just because you look different than me, it's just well, so it's stupid just... and arbitrary. It's it's beyond my comprehension. Well, and, and that's just it. There's some things that are incomprehensible. I mean, there are some things that are built into all of us. They've done studies on this where people are put in a group and they're all the same race and one person is given a star on their shirt or something, you know, kind of like the whole Dr. Seuss thing. And suddenly are the brown eyes, blue eyes thing. And there, there have been actual well, we all studies. Blue eyed people are smarter than brown eyed people. They smell funny though. <laughs> but anyways, they, they put these, these studies together to show that it's human nature to hate something that's different than you. Yeah. Well, I, I understand that, but you know, and I hate to go back to Star Trek, but there was this, <laughs> and I hate it too. <laughs> there was this episode where Kirk was talking about being a killer. We're all killers, you know. We all it's have violent. We all it is, baby. We all have violent tendencies. Perhaps maybe that's human nature. Maybe it's not. I'm not here to argue that. But what we need to do is reason every day that today is a day that I'm going to be a reasonable person and I'm not going to be racist and today is a day that I'm not going to kill someone. I mean, I, I've only killed two or three people in my life, so I've fortunately been the better on that, on that side of that argument. Yeah, they were drifters, though. though. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But anyway, yeah, the whole arbitrariness of racism is just so incomprehensible, as, as you said. Yeah, and the only thing I can see hating is the Red Sox. So, <laughs> well, yeah. And now me, not so much. I like the Red Sox. So, you know, anyway, let, let's play a tune. Enough with this imacism stuff. You, <laughs> right. Let's crank it up, man. If it's too loud, you're too old.
For those who don't recognize the style, we've played him uh, numerous times before, a wonderful folk Celtic fingerstyle guitarist named Simon Fox. Yeah, I think he's a nappy-headed hoe, though. (laughs) He might be. That one was called The Deep North, which is where he lives now. He used to live in the deep south of Australia, and now I believe he's moved to Canada. I'm just trying to figure out a way to, to actually get fired. But I guess we can't because we don't really have employers. Well, you could get fired where you work. No, I'm talking I about can help you show. With I want to do the Nimus thing and, and try to be as controversial as possible. Well, I don't know. We'll have to work on that. We'll have to develop a plan. First, let's get a sponsor, and then we'll lose the sponsor, and then we'll be all set. That's right. Very briefly, I want to talk about Little Children. A uh, Who uh, directed this crazy film? Todd Field, 2006 film, 130 minutes. And for those of you who are big Kate Winslet fans like me... You're a huge Kate Winslet fan. Well, you know, I mean, who was more beautiful than her lying on that chaise lounge, nude, being drawn by Jack and Titanic? You had to bring up Titanic, didn't you? Not that I think Not a fan. Well, I didn't think it was a bad film. I sort of liked the film, but you remember the scene where she's lying on the chaise lounge, nude, and she just looked lovely. I mean, who was more beautiful than her in that moment? No one, and since John apparently is incapable of answering this, I'll answer it for him. I don't know, I'm just, there are thousands of people. No, I I think Hank Winslet's actually lovely. And I'm actually not going to talk about this film too long, because our show is like about 90 minutes long already, but really interesting film, wonderful character study of adult behavior. We have Kate Winslet, and we have the prom king, Brad Adamson, played by Patrick Wilson, who invades the playground. And let's see, let's see, we have the overachieving ex-cop who feels it's his duty to police the neighborhood still, even though he's not a policeman anymore. And then let's see, we have the strange criminal type person who uh, has some criminal history involving sexual misconduct with children. A lot of stuff going on in this film. Yeah, it sounds really like powerful. it. Sounds like a soap opera. Actually, it is. In many ways, it can be tied directly to a soap opera because I think that this film has a narrator, and I think it was the same guy from um, Desperate Housewives. You know, he's sort of that very cerebral-sounding guy who does the PBS narrations on, like, Nova or something, you know? And he actually narrates in this film, and it's because the film is so dead serious. The first time you hear his voice, you expect, you, you associate it with those PBS documentaries, and it's just it's just very funny. But anyway, I give this film two fingers <laughs> i'm holding up two fingers i'm not going to tell you which one and i'm i'm waving them at john right now so anyway I'm check this film out that, you know uh, well you know shut up ho and <laughs> get you and your nappy head out grease of here. ball ho get out 
<laughs> anyway, really so nice dumb, piece of work. Polak. I know. Check this film out. It's a uh, 2006 film by Todd Field. Very powerful. There's a lot of interesting things going on in this film. And uh, I don't know. I think that's a show. Tis a show. Is it a show? Well, <laughs> say no. the Claxons is a show. No taking back now. No take backs. Yeah, we can't reverse it. That would be awful. No, we can scratch it, though. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Check out all the goodness of our forum. I should probably hit that every once in a while. Yeah. Bloodyveg.com slash forum. Yeah, you can check that out and like post. And you can leave us feedback, Chris, not Garlic Chris, but thank you, Garlic Chris, for the garlic soup. Chris, the New York Rangers hockey fan, leave us feedback to feedback at bloodyveg.com. There's all sorts of feedback. Say something. Fill the space. Something. It's uncomfortable silence. <clears throat> You're a nappy-headed hoe. Well, thanks so much. Anyway, remember, you've been listening to the VIB. 